You're listening to Innovative Minds with Melanie Francis, where we talk to some of the top thought leaders, business leaders, and marketers around the globe. Tune in every Thursday and spark your mind. And now, let's get into it. Okay, I'm so excited to have Can here with me. I met Can sort of two, three years ago when he started in video marketing back then. And, you know, I've seen him go strength to strength. The last chat I had with him, he really inspired me with sort of the things he was doing on YouTube. And I, when I started the podcast, I really wanted to talk to him and get down into what's going on in video marketing, what's happening in YouTube. He comes from the Google background. So, you know, he really knows what's happening on YouTube. And I know for the listeners, my focus has been always on LinkedIn and continues to be on LinkedIn, but to bring someone that's got the YouTube experience when you're creating videos can give you that thoughts on how to dominate on YouTube was really important for me. So I was super excited to have him on early. So thank you so much for joining me, Ken. No, my pleasure, Mel. And uh, yeah, really excited to, I guess, add value to the audience. So Ken, I guess to jump into it, tell me since we've caught up, what's been happening in let's talk about video marketing in general. You know, it's been, I can see I've experienced here on LinkedIn specifically, we had a deterioration in video views with the algorithm not really performing. And that was kind of scary um, for our audience because we went into a full production mode and you would have seen that. And I remember talking to you about that and you said, you know, no, but we're getting great achievements on YouTube. So I was really curious to explore what's the what's the trend overall but you know your thoughts also you know you must have been seeing that same trend with now impressions coming back to video which is great for video um but yeah what's you know what's the overview what's the layout right now in video yeah videos it's going through a funny transformation at the moment um partly like as you mentioned you know sort of linkedin's overall um you know reach from a video standpoint um, has been throttled somewhat, I guess, in the last you know twelve months that we've seen as well. Um, I suppose when you sort of compare side by side with performance of video uh, campaigns with things like just blog posts, meaning text based posts, and also um, image based posts, they they just tend to perform significantly better. Um, and I and I actually think partly it's because of just the attention span that is progressively actually getting shorter on LinkedIn. Um, based on what we're seeing, um, whilst we're sort of only putting out videos that are generally sort of what we can call micro videos, they, they're, they're shorter, they're sharper, they're punchinger. Um, th- we're finding that sometimes is not even enough to sort of grab the attention of, um, you know, the, the viewer. Uh, but it also really just boils down to quality of content. I think that always sort of is the big, biggest variable when it comes to video. Like it, you know, I sort of say it's, um, you know, it's, it's part of my French, but it's like, you can polish a turd, but it's still a turd at the end of the day, right? It's just a really shiny one. And so um, it, it's still really important to actually not just say, well, doing video for the sake of video, but the video quality has to be really good. Um, but having said that, beyond LinkedIn, we are still seeing great traction, obviously, with YouTube because YouTube's such a dominant, well, it is the video search engine um, of the planet. But um, what we have seen very interesting has seen, obviously, the uprising. A lot of everyone knows this is um, TikTok and Instagram Reels and also YouTube Shorts as well. So vertical-based videos are the sort of zeitgeist or flavor of the month, so to speak. Um, they are performing incredibly well just partly because of, you know, Instagram really pushing this as a direct competition to TikTok. 
Um, YouTube probably hasn't quite worked out its game here a little bit. It's a little bit behind those two. Um, but we're seeing, you know, a lot of our clients who are sort of uh, repurposing their content or creating original content as reels. Um, and that is performing incredibly, incredibly well on Instagram and probably better than, say, TikTok at the moment. So there are slightly two different things happening at the moment. Um, I'm seeing, for example, with Instagram, you can actually repurpose a lot of your original content into vertical reels. And they still perform incredibly well because it's a much more mature platform. Um, whereas you sort of see with TikTok, it's probably more of the younger generation. It hasn't fully matured as a platform. Um, and so the more raw, the more sort of, I guess, um, you know, rough around the edges type content that's sort of done with your phone as opposed to a high quality production, well lit, um, tends to perform better. So you sort of need to understand how, um, what type of consumer demographics and psychographics are on each platform and also how the algorithm works. Um, and so they serve, you know, slightly different purposes, but we are seeing that sort of merge together at the moment as well. Yeah, interesting on LinkedIn is I had Chris Walker uh, about two episodes before you come on and, you know, he experiences huge amounts of video views, you know, 80,000 views with no deterioration and just keeps ramping up. And I think it comes down to the quality of content, but also the production that he continues to invest into, you know, he's gone and ramped up that. But I think it I think it must be that as a person you have to figure out like what's the best medium for you to communicate and if you know how to communicate that really well that you are going to get followers but he also started a long time ago right like these platforms are maturing and you know if you've got your followers and you've got your tribe you can go strength to strength so I think what you've talked about TikTok which is brand new like this is a time to probably build that followership before anyone else gets in there and you know takes that viewership and the tribe away from you. So it gets more competitive. Naturally. Yeah, that's right. I mean, if you think about what Chris says, anyone who watches Chris, which I do as well, um, he talks about consistency. Um, he talks about playing the long game, running the marathon, not the sprint. Um, TikTok's just one of those experimental areas, you know, even for us who are, you know, video marketing specialists as well, that we haven't quite cracked the code. Um, yeah. Ironically, you know, as an agency, uh, you know, people outsource their video marketing to us. We actually at the moment are going through an evolution where we actually say, you can't outsource this stuff to us because the trends move so fast. The sort of styles, um, sort of how things are done and the way content's created is at such a scale now that you can't actually, we just wouldn't move fast enough to be able to keep up with it. Unless we said, oh, look, the trend of the week is this and everyone's going to be doing this in our client um, base. But, you know, we're, we're still doing a lot of experimentation. I know Chris is also going through that process as well. Um, what's really interesting with what is happening right now is it, it, it really sort of separates the wheat, the wheat from the chaff um, in terms of quality at the moment. So what we are seeing is there's a lot of video content out there. There's a lot of video content floating around, but there isn't a whole lot of quality. And so if you sort of think back to, you know, how Chris did it in the early days to now, you know, he's been doing it for, you know, four or five years. It's uh, It's been a long time. And if we sort of look at guys like even like Gary Vee, who's been doing it yes. for 10 plus years, this is all a consistency game. Uh, you know, when we sort of boil it down, there are two biggest variables to success in video. Everyone consumes video, but when video doesn't perform with you, it's usually either you haven't actually been doing it long enough or your quality isn't good enough. That's it. Don't blame the algorithm. Don't say anything else because the algorithm's there. There are the part, I mean, the attention is there. People are consuming the content on these platforms. It's just that your content isn't great or you haven't been doing it long enough. So that's probably the, the one that conclusion I made. And, you know, he kind of goes in and just does video day in and day out, whereas you see clients and I've, you know, I've done that myself where I'll go and play carousels, I'll go play text, I'll go play video 
as and when I want. Um, and, you know, being a marketing agency, you have the freedom to do that. And that's almost a problem. Whereas I think now what I'm starting to feel like the best way is like choose your medium and your format that's going to resonate. If that's your best wicket, like just keep hitting that wicket. You know, if you come across good on video and that's your thing, I think you've got to almost do it at larger volumes as well than you had to previously. Is that what you're experiencing as well? Yeah, so definitely. Once a week might not cut it's it not anymore. <laughs> no, it won't <laughs> cut it anymore. It's a lot of um, no longer is it sort of just the one 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 a week long form content now. It's a lot of micro content. Um, you know, we're recommending to clients to do three or four videos a day if you've got the capacity to be able to do that, right? And um, it's because we actually now have less control over the algorithm than we have ever had. So if you look at TikTok with such a strong interest-based algorithm, it's really difficult right now to actually try and game the system. And so I say creating videos is sort of like investing. You know, you've sort of got out of um, 100 pieces, 100% of your content, 80% of it will do as expected, 18% will do horribly, but 2% will take you to the moon. You just don't know what that 2% is. So it's really important that you just give yourself every opportunity. And so when, when I talk to clients, I say, well, can I get away with fortnightly? Uh, can I get away with monthly? I say, well, you're just having, you know, less at-bats or less attempts at this. And that's not how you're going to win this game. You're going to have to win this game through volume. And, and unfortunately, that, that is what it is. You know, I moved my content to daily um, last week just to kind of see because I do three a week, you know, and um, I moved to daily and my impressions, you know, and my visibility went up by about 194%. And I've got the ability to do daily, just like you didn't have to. Um do it daily before, you know? So it's like you're you're all of a sudden going, shit, I need to now do it daily. Like, and um, I guess that's why I moved into this format of talking, you know, into a podcast format because I needed to constantly produce content and there was no way that I could have a video production company sit there and come to me that regularly to produce content that's that relevant to go and hit in the next week or two, you know? that. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah. I, I was going to say, um, I literally just came out of a client meeting a couple of hours ago and they were basically asking us if we could help them with, you know, their, their vertical videos, their TikToks and their Instagram reels. And I actually said to them, I said, you got to realize things like the fastest way to grow on these platforms right now are trends. Like you literally have to get, and, and I'm not saying if you don't like dancing, don't dance. Like that's not the point. Yes. The point is there's trends around videos, there's trends around styles, there's trends around, um, you know, particular areas of interest, right? For example, uh, kitchen equipment, you know, people, there seems to be this whole big thing right now. So if you're a kitchen equipment company, you're in e-commerce and you've got a product that's fantastic, you should be on TikTok right now. Mm -hmm. And so TikTok's serving a very specific type of audience at the moment, but I can see that sort of maturing over time. And so to go back to that client meeting, we were basically walking through this workflow and the conclusion we basically made was that for us to figure out what those trends are, you know, as an agency to then film with you, to do this at scale on the daily, multiple times a day if you wanted to, and then to be able to edit it, and then distribute that, it is not, I don't know of any agency out there that can do this now, right? Mm -hmm. It is incredibly difficult. And it goes back to what Chris actually is saying. It's like, it's actually, there should, like, you should not be outsourcing. And it sounds weird because I'm an agency, but you should not be outsourcing your videos in this day and age now, unless your audience is on YouTube and you really want to go hard on YouTube. But things like TikTok, things like Instagram, we say you've got to do it in-house or you've got to do a mix of both. You've got to have a mix yes. of maybe the high production stuff you do with us as an agency, but you got to do your own in-house stuff, which is some of more of your fun, your more raw, your more personable stuff, get on trends because that is how you grow those um, channels and those handles. 
Well, I want to tell you something I talked to my client about last Thursday. Um, and he said to me that there is all these AI tools coming that would enable it to pull out snippets from webinars and so forth. I don't know if you've explored those. I know that we've just started looking at that because they were never up to a standard that was actually deliverable. But apparently these AIs are catching up, you know, and they are able to deliver intelligent snippets back to our clients. So something you start thinking about is if that's going to be automated, then where is the future of value? And I'm sure you're thinking about that as well as an agency. Like, What are we going to bring if you can't, if a human doesn't have to sit there and intelligently pick the gold nugget anymore because it can be artificially done, then what is the future of how agencies add value? I haven't looked too closely. I do know of the AI technology to be able to do this, but it's very similar to the SEO world where you've got like Jarvis and Conversion AI um, who apparently can now allegedly do your copywriting for you, right? And Correct, correct. You know, like, yes, it gets up to a certain standard, but if you are looking, you know, I always say like it's the, the maturation of the market, right? In the early days, you can get away with it. People probably aren't going to notice, but as the platform matures, you're going to need to up your game. Right. And, and so it's a bit of a gold rush at the moment with what's happening, say, on TikTok and Instagram. And so whilst this is maybe good enough now, mm. the algorithm or the AI will always be catching up with the algorithm itself. We are as humans going to be trying to play catch up as well. Mm. But inherently to expect an AI to be able to understand human consumption and how the algorithm works and be able to match the exact snippet to that. Um, I'm still a little bit skeptical about it. I'm happy to be proven wrong. Um, yeah. It will drastically change the way we do things and obviously um, make a massive dent in terms of, I guess, efficiency in the way that we do it. Um, but I've yet to see that. I love, yeah, you brought up Jarvis and copy.ai because, yeah, my clients are saying, you know, that's their SEO strategy, that they're going to be getting 200 uh, blogs out of copy.ai and it's producing apparently pretty good quality compared to last year. So it is evolving um, and it's, you know, our job to make sure that we really understand how evolved they become um, because, you know, if it is evolving, of course, you'd use that as your basis um, as an agent. So coming to SEO and I, I want to talk to you about SEO because that's where, you know, you've got strength there. And then I want to talk about the YouTube. Um, let's just say that, yes, copy What's your view? Do you think that, you know, blog should be written by something like copy.ai? Like what, what are you advising your clients on that when you're hearing that? Well, Seth Godin talks about, I mean, Seth is like, you know, the, the almost like the godfather of marketing. And all he says is just serve. Serve people. Don't worry about trying to do these like quick hacks and these silver bullets. Just serve in perpetuity. And he's a classic example of a guy who's written daily blog posts for, I don't know, as long as anyone can remember the last, say, 15, 20 years, and he's the epitome of consistency. And like I said, some of that content is fantastic, some of it is garbage, some of it's somewhere in between. And so how this sort of applies to how AI is affecting content creation, whether it's video or written content, what you inevitably end up creating with this sort of stuff is a lot of mediocrity because everything looks the same, everyone sounds the same, um, now that can serve you if you are someone who's just trying to teach very sort of rudimentary concepts and it's very informative and you, your goal might be, I'm looking to just monetize through website traffic, right? And if you sort of work out the algorithm with SEO and you can sort of get on the first page pretty methodically, go for it, go for your life. But if you're out there trying to build a brand, like if you're like Chris, who wants to, you have a contrarian way of thinking, there is no way in hell you're going to get an AI to be able to do that for you. Okay. So what I say is like, 
Um, everyone's going to have very similar opinions. And again, that wheat from the chaff is going to happen when you start creating content that's either, say, contrarian, different, or makes you unique. I mean, that's ultimately what brand is. Um, and so it really boils down to your end goal. If you, you, your end goal is there just to flip websites and just to produce traffic and then monetize through ad revenue, for sure, go for it, right? But if you're trying to build a brand, you're trying to lead generate fill your business, I would argue that this might work for a certain point in time, but it's probably not going to work in the long run. And the reason why is because I've seen time and time again, even in back in my SEO days, that people try and game the system, Google works it out, uh, and then you will get found out. And so it's a temporary solution. And so everyone, you know, any algorithm out there is actually trying to actually say content is king. And for some reason, there's always people who are short-minded and narrow-minded about the fact that they can sort of be a multi-billion dollar, probably a top three, top five biggest company in the world and think that they can actually win this game of like outgaming them. I'm like, it's not going to happen. Um, so I, I think if there's any one lesson, it's like, well, you know, you might be able to get away with this in the short term, but I don't think you'll be able to get away with it in the long run. Yeah, excellent thinking, excellent thinking. Um, I want to pick your mind on YouTube and publishing on YouTube. And, you know, if Chris does listen to this, I'm sure he could take a point or two as well, given his YouTube videos has just been a repository, um, yeah. you know, strategy over there. And he's just he's in experimental phase on how he distributes. He's just been putting videos there. So how, you know, for people listening on, they're producing these videos, they're distributing it on LinkedIn. It's not maybe, you know, garnering exactly the same results. How can they use YouTube now and really get those views? Because I see that it's really hard and you've got huge amounts of knowledge in that. So can you share some, you know, how do we distribute onto that platform to win? So before anyone even considers YouTube, you need to understand whether or not your audience is on YouTube. More often than not, it is. Um, so YouTube, you know, if we sort of break down the algorithm, there's actually two types of algorithm. There's the search algorithm and there's the virality or the, the recommended algorithm. So depending on which game you're trying to play, and I recommend people generally try and play with the search algorithm initially to get early traction and then move into the sort of recommended algorithm. So to sort of explain this very simply, it's if, you, if anyone has any SEO background understanding how search engines work, what you're essentially looking for is you're trying to create videos based on a topic that people are searching for or a keyword that they're actually entering into their search, right? Simple as that. Um, oftentimes, this sort of content is generally more how-to content. It's more educational content. But sometimes, some industries that we found don't have that sort of search volume. Um, meaning there are people actually searching for this. And so you might have like a beautiful YouTube channel, but if no one's actually searching for it and looking for those keywords, you're not going to actually show up. And so in those cases, we say those businesses should be going after the recommended algorithm. So what that generally is, is that you actually have to do this consistently over time. We're talking like potentially 50 to 100 videos before you see any early traction going on. And what ends up happening is it'll get picked up by YouTube. Again, that's sort of, you know, how I said that sort of laws of, you know, 100% videos, you don't know which one, but that 2% that's going to take off, you don't know what that is. And so you're playing that volume game again. And at some stage, you're going to create content that YouTube's going to pick up and it's going to literally start recommending this out to everyone. So if you think of every, you know, your favorite YouTuber, more often than not, if you sort of see how they grow their channels, they probably spend the first year or two and usually about 100 to 150 videos in. And they probably had one or two pieces of content just really go to the moon. Like it just gets picked up and it gets picked up like hundreds of thousands, millions of views. And that's what just lifts the entire channel up. But leading up to that, they weren't getting much traction at all, right? It was maybe very linear, very progressive, nothing, you know, sort of exponential. So how that gets applied to sort of 
businesses or just marketing in general is it goes back to the consistency game. Like it takes longer than you need to. So uh, look, if Chris is listening to this, I would literally say he's like, he knows, he knows what he needs to do. And that is just consistency. But there are certain things that you can do to improve the pace or the velocity in which you actually succeed or, or win in YouTube. Um, number one is you have to get really strong with your thumbnail game. Your thumbnails are the lifeblood. They're like the equivalent of really strong email subject lines. If you do not have, you can have a great email, but if your subject line's really poor, your click-through rate's going to suffer, which is one of the biggest metrics in YouTube. The second, the second thing is the quality of the content. So what we call your engagement rate or your watch time. So if someone drops off in the first 10 to 20%, doesn't matter how great your video is, right? And so that's why production value is really important. That's why you got to um, make sure your script's really tight. You got to make sure your delivery is really good. Um, you got to make sure that uh, you've got great motion graphics or animations if, that, if you have the opportunity to do that. Um, and then, you know, some of the other varying factors we're talking about are obviously like your title. Your title is a form of copywriting. You got to have a really strong title. Um, and then outside of that, things like your closed captions, your chapters, your description, your meta tags, um, sort of some more ancillary stuff, right? So it's this combination of all these data points, very similar to SEO, when put together and done consistently is when you win. Um, and so therefore it, like I said, I guess my key point here is it takes time, but if you get all those parts right over time, you will win if your audience is on YouTube. So the first thing that really is different, I guess, from those that are generating content based on LinkedIn conversations or, you know, comments with this, that's where, you know, that's where we are generating our content. We're listening to what our commenters are saying, or we're listening to conversations we're having with our clients and we're generating, we're not looking at Google. And that's something I think Chris doesn't do. He doesn't go look at Google to tell him he looks for conversations. So to play the game on YouTube, it seems a little bit different because I think he's playing the dark social game and he's listening to, you know, people that are coming. And I guess my viewpoint on that is as well that sometimes you're actually closer to the problem before Google actually comes and gives you, okay, there's all these people that are searching it and collects the data. So you're sort of ahead a little bit before of it. And sometimes that comes up in Google, sometimes it doesn't, but you're close to the conversation. So the way you come up with content strategy from what I've just heard from you is a bit different if you want to play the YouTube game. Absolutely, because um, it's a search engine. So, you know, people are searching for a particular solution to a problem that you have, then why wouldn't you optimize for that and make sure you get in front of people, right? But the problem that we always find is that people try and over-optimize. And so the, the what suffers is the quality of the content or the, the user experience, right? Because you end up, I mean, it's just like SEO. It's like you start jamming keywords in and it just becomes this unreadable piece of content, right? Same thing with videos. Someone, anyone who's gaming the system just does it, goes overkill. So it's this fine balance between um, user experience and also uh, making sure that you hit the key data points with the algorithm to make sure your visibility is there. Um, how that sort of relates to the difference between, say, dark socials and social media content is that um, YouTube is an evergreen game. Because it's a search engine, if you create content and your content is good quality, you will be able to generate traffic in perpetuity for a piece of content. Unfortunately, that's not the case with LinkedIn or Facebook or Instagram um, or TikTok because you have to constantly create in order to continue to see additional uh, visibility. So YouTube has this very unique advantage, and that's why so many people are bullish on YouTube, is that, number one, the intention span is much longer. People generally consume for, a, they have the appetite to consume for a longer period of time. I know Chris sometimes says he puts up like a, an hour 20 webinar on LinkedIn, and it tends to work really well. But I would argue, let's just talk about generalities here, the law of averages. Most people generally consume a much longer period of time on um, YouTube than they do on social media. 
the second thing with that is that um, generally speaking, like I said, you're, you're playing that sort of recommendation game. So YouTube has a very strong algorithm, interest-based algorithm, and it can work out if you like X, then I will recommend Y. So how many times you've seen where you've clicked a few videos, you've watched a few things, and all of a sudden you keep getting recommended the same thing by YouTube or similar pieces of content? That is where the power is in YouTube, the discoverability of your content um, through an algorithm or a search engine that knows how to put the right content for you. Because YouTube, at the end of the day, just wants people to stay on YouTube. That's, that's the ultimate game for every um, platform. And so create good quality content, right, and serve your audience, and then people will get rewarded for it. Now, most industries that I find, I work in B2B service-based businesses, so a little bit similar to Chris. Chris is in SaaS. I mean, just like I could be like with accountants and lawyers, is that most people don't go to YouTube um, to get their answer. And so oftentimes you are playing. That's why I say it's really important to understand whether or not your actual audience is on YouTube, because uh, if they're not, then there's no point playing that game at all. Yeah, I think I think that's the interesting part. Like when I think about my audience, I think there's a part of it, like a CMO, that would go on YouTube and try and find a solution. But then if you're targeting CEOs, I think they're too busy to go on YouTube and sit there and learn because they've already got not enough time. They're expecting their team to go and be you know, bring them the solution unless they're, you know, a younger founder and they're trying to do everything and then they're probably going to do it themselves because they don't have the resources anyway exactly. to potentially, yeah. um, you know, get their team to do it. So it's really interesting on that content generation of how you generate content depending on what game you play, you know. So if I was talking to someone on LinkedIn, I would say, you know, you need to play the conversation game. You need to listen to what your clients are saying. You need to, like the first question I ask my clients is, you know, what's something you're constantly being asked this month? And it's really not about looking at what Google's saying. It's really about serving the conversation because it's social. So social is like, you know, what are people asking you at an event? Whereas I think from talking to you, if you want to play YouTube, you want to, you think your audience lives on YouTube and you really want to serve that, You've got to understand Google keywords. You've got to understand, um, and I guess, Ken, would you recommend AHREFS, Google Keyword Planner, like for people that are, you know, wanting to play the YouTube game? Are they those the two resources you'd be pointing them to or any other resources to start planning their content strategy? The uh, the resources that we don't generally recommend or we use ourselves is TubeBuddy. Um, so TubeBuddy is the equivalent of your AHREFS for SEO. Um, definitely not, you know, if you're, if you're an SEO nerd, you're going to be really disappointed with the quality of the data in TubeBuddy because um, it's much more shallow. And that's because YouTube generally just doesn't have as much visible data points for you to pull from as well. But things like, you know, backlinks, there's no impact with backlinks on YouTube. And so there's just less to work with. Um, so that's number one. Uh, the other type of tool we use is VidIQ. So V-I-D-I-Q, um, very similar to TubeBuddy, but definitely gives you some other forms of data points, particularly when you're looking to do competitor analysis and you're looking to analyze the success of a channel. Um, it's, it's fantastic for that as well. Um, so those are probably the two dominant ones that we generally recommend in terms of doing that. Now, ironically, um, and, and I literally just finished actually um, going through Ali Abdal, for those who sort of know him, big productivity nerd and, you know, 2.5 million subscribers. We went through his um, part-time YouTubers Academy um, ourselves. And what was really interesting after going through and actually speaking to Ali directly was that he just says, do not worry about sort of the keywords. It's like, yeah, try and, you know, if you have the opportunity, you know, go after the keywords, but where you're going to blow up is just consistency. So I think it took Ali about 105 videos before he got his first thousand subscribers, which is incredible if you think about it. He was publishing videos for a full year, two times a week. 
before he even got close to the thousand subscribers. But it is a bit of a snowball effect that I think it was something like 170 videos the following year and he got up to 10,000 and then it was like 100,000 and it was up to 200. He's got a video on it. So if anyone wants to watch it, can, can check it out because he's very transparent about it. Um, that just shows you the magnitude of just how long you have to be playing this game in order to succeed on YouTube. But I would even argue on social media, like if you think about like, if you even think about the way sort of um, Chris talks about it, he does, he took him years, you know, of just doing this for a really long time to succeed and, and YouTube is no different. Yeah, no, um, absolutely. And I think though, when clients come to an agency, what they do get to do is piggyback off our experience and our failures that they can shorten some of that time span, but it still takes us time because the field is constantly changing. You know, we're not, we're not magicians here. We're still also playing a game which is ever changing. It's not the same game that we could play last year or the year before. The game changes. You know, there's when I'm looking at LinkedIn and I'm looking at, oh my God, now there's newsletters. Now that was video last year that you could play. Now I've got to play a totally different distribution game and you're playing a different game looking at search engines and I'm looking at, well, how am I going to distribute this podcast in a way that everyone actually sees it? You know, like how do I make sure that this actually has an impression? What am I going to tag? The obsession that you have to be on a platform now is causing agencies to now actually become very, you know, focused in what they're serving. We, we're expected to be everything in marketing, but it's difficult to be everything when there's such a big ever-changing market within the platforms itself and the platforms keep adding feature after feature after feature and we're, you know, having to catch up with paid ads. Okay, I saw you have started, you know, um, I've got your ads coming up, Ken, on mine and, <laughs> yep. and I'm like, and you're, you're probably going okay now i've got to keep up with this new everyone wants to put you know linkedin ads up and this platform is not mature enough it's not like facebook it's a different platform so there's this ever-changing you know requirement of us to uh give the shorten the cycle but there's also a challenge there for even agencies the, the biggest challenge in marketing as a marketing agency right now is marketers marketers ruin everything like simple as that and what i mean by that is uh, as soon as marketers catch on to this one quick silver bullet or this quick hack, uh, every single one of them is on it. And that's what ruins it. So, you know, sell by chat, cold DMs on LinkedIn, right? That was the thing, you know, five or six years ago. And now it doesn't work because the market has become sophisticated and understands what you're trying to do. And then next time it'll be the next thing. And so as not only as the algorithm changes, so does consumer behavior um, actually change on these platforms as well. And so therefore, it always ends up distilling back to fundamentals, which is serve your audience, give value, and do it consistently and in perpetuity. And if you do that, you will win. Um, and so all these sort of temporary things are temporary. Um, and so whether it's YouTube, whether it's LinkedIn, whether it's any sort of platform out there, um, I think generally the cream will always rise to the top in terms of the quality of content. I don't, I'm not a big advocate, a big proponent of trying to do this sort of stuff. And a lot of agencies spruik that. Uh, and unfortunately, because of the lack of accountability and also the lack of understanding how marketing genuinely works, real marketing, um, a lot of business owners are falling for these traps and they're getting burnt by agencies who aren't delivering the results. So they're promising them the world and then very under delivering um, in that process. So I, um, I almost sell myself out of business often when I talk to clients because we take a very diagnostic approach when we speak to them. Uh, we try to understand, like, I, I suppose the analogy I use here is like, we're like doctors, you know, you don't, you don't come up to us and just say, Hey doc, I've got a, uh, I've got, I've got cancer. 
right? I'm like, cool, chemotherapy, radiotherapy. Let's just get you, you know, referred over and you do, like, we're going to do tests. We're going to ask you questions. We're going to address and find out what's wrong with you before we actually figure out what to prescribe you. And unfortunately, most agencies are the opposite. You go to an agency and you go, we need to run ads. And agency is like, cool, let's do ads for you, right? They don't even ask you. They don't get an understanding. They don't intimately understand and get your industry or your business. And that is where things fall over. Absolutely. I mean, now we're just like kind of going, you know, if you want to work um, with us, you've got to have a 12-month or 24-month minimum outlook. You know, if people don't have that outlook, you end up with the wrong clients who have false expectation and think, you know, in three to six months, they're going to have huge amounts of inbounds and the touch points have changed. The touch points aren't 12, 38, they're at 58 at least now, I would say on average when you're looking at the market. But hey, you said something um, about thumbnails and, um, you know, from my experiments on LinkedIn where I'm distributing everywhere, I experimented and when I took off thumbnails, the platform rewarded me, even though that wasn't the case about uh, six months ago. So when it comes into distribution on LinkedIn, taking off the thumbnails um, gave me more wins because it's like they're looking for maybe a framework. So it's interesting that you said um, on YouTube, though, when you distribute that thumbnail is super important. So just wanted the audience to really understand that, you know, depending on the platform, it it's important to understand that you know you don't distribute the same thing um sometimes it's, it can be it can it can it can work i didn't know but i posted the same video like four times and i think linkedin ended up penalizing me for that as well but i just needed <laughs> to prove i just needed to prove that out you know like does it work or does it not yeah and you, you make a really good point which is you have to prove it out because you can't go based on what someone else tells you and then take it for gospel uh, the amount of times I've seen smoke and mirrors by either Google, YouTube, LinkedIn, one of these platforms, right? Someone on Twitter who, you know, works for the company says, oh, this, these are the new rules, right? And then everyone's like, oh, these are the rules. And then they end up like following it and realize it's the opposite. There is, all, I mean, these, let's be honest, these companies are profit-driven companies who have their own ulterior motives. And more often than not, uh, this is smoke and mirrors. So you have to test it yourself like you did. We do it all the time. For example, uh, TikTok says, cool, we have a functionality, you can upload videos via desktop, you know, through the browser. And we saw a 10x increase in um, visibility and reach when we uploaded via mobile phones. So, you know, like you just don't know, like you have to test this sort of stuff out and see what works for you because whatever works for you, keep doing it. Whatever doesn't, shelve it. Tell me about the um, strong title point that you said on YouTube, like there's a titling that happens over in LinkedIn, which is the, at the top of the video, that's the opportunity that exists in LinkedIn. Yes. Mm -hmm. So the head, you know, at the, that sits at the top of your headline. So, but that same title can be then used, I guess, for YouTube, as long as you go research that that's a Google style search form. Um, Is that how you're kind of, you know, seeing it? that you know that in in linkedin you would put that title at the top of someone's head but you would not obviously do that in youtube so the way we approach youtube titles is that we are very specific about uh title uh, character counts so the character count is actually 55 it's actually longer for desktop but we say 55 because on mobile it's actually 55 and you'll find that obviously most of consumption of youtube on i think like 75 percent, 80 percent of it's now on, on mobile so if if you're not optimizing for mobile, you're missing out literally on like two thirds of the market, three quarters of the market. So we, you don't want any truncation. You don't want your words getting cut off, right? 
Um, so for example, we previously had a title, it was like seven lessons learned doing blah. And it was like cut off and you couldn't tell seven lessons learned doing what. And that is your lost opportunity because um, one of the big things that we learned from guys like Ali and even talking to other YouTubers is that your, your title should never be cut off. So that's number one. Number two is with thumbnails and titles, they're supposed to be used in complementary to each other. When we first started doing it, we would just replicate whatever the title of the video was on the thumbnail. They're saying, no, complement the thumbnail with the title as well. Don't just match it for exact. And that generally performs much better because it's sort of like a hack of just being able to get an extra 10 or 15 you know, characters or words in your um, hook to be able to get people to click through and watch it. And at the end of the day, you know, anyone who follows, um, Chris will probably follow like Dave Gerhardt. He talks about the 10 laws of copywriting. And one of them is, is that your subject line of your email is to get them to click. The first line makes them do, you know, read the second line. The second line makes them read the third line and so forth. The same principle applies in videos. Your thumbnail and your title forces people to click. The opening hook, the first five seconds of the video forces them to continue to watch. And then the next 10 seconds, which is your introduction, um, you know, causes them to continue watching. And then you have what we call a lead in, which is basically to explain why you should be watching this video, give you context and so forth. So there's a whole formula to it. Um, but I guess my point here is, is that, you know, the title and the thumbnail is the sort of opening hook, you know, and the rest is sort of the rest of the bait and the rest of the, uh, the sinker. Then with the dropout rate, which was the other point you made, tell me, okay, so that's that you've just mentioned, you know, make sure that you follow a structure to make sure that that dropout rate is controlled. You've just mentioned, what about the length of the video for YouTube? Is there, you know, a record, because on, you know, on LinkedIn over there, we're always going for sure one minute to two minutes, but I think YouTube allows us to go for longer lengths, but I, is that, you know, is that what the user base is demanding there? They're really looking for a 20 minute content base or is that gone down and down and down now over the, over the years? It. I wouldn't say it's gone down. I just think there's actually more variety in lengths, right? And um, it, it sort of boils down to what is your objective. Now, if you're someone who's looking to monetize through YouTube, like we're talking ad revenue and AdSense and you're doing rev share model with YouTube themselves, then length, you know, the longer the better. Uh, now, having said that, it goes back to quality of content, which is I always say when clients ask me these questions, like the video should only be as long as it needs to be. So if you beat around the bush and, you know, if you ever watch that YouTube video where in the first two minutes, you're like, God, just get to the, like, I just want you to tell me what I clicked it for. And that's usually where you drop off because you're like, I have no patience for this or you start skipping through, right? And that affects obviously the retention rate of the video. So the answer to that question is it needs to be as long as it needs to be. But where we see the optimal length generally for B2B businesses is in that three to five minute range, right? Because if it's too short, you don't get to go deep enough. If it's too long, start to sort of, I guess, elaborate a little bit too much it's probably a case where you actually need to have two separate videos for it um so three to five is actually this sweet spot because you're not measuring the success of the video based on you know your cpm and how much you're going to generate based on ad revenue you're trying to measure based on retention rate how much they watch and does that lead to actually leads in your business as well yeah great great um tell me last time we caught up you said you know we were in covid so there was no way that you could go out and film and you know, you're using green screens and so forth back then, like we're talking about two years ago and you had another probably year of that. Now where things are opening up, what's the appetite? And we've got this demand for more production, more quality production in order to perform. So what what are you guys now doing with, you know, where, are you now back to, you know, shooting 
on site? Have you brought that back on? You see the opportunity, the need for that? Um, because back when we were talking, we were like, maybe this is how it's going to fly now. We're all just going to shoot online and, you know, we've got the 4K cameras that you can, you know, set up. So, yeah, where, you know, where's your thought at on that? Uh, look, as an agency, we like to have more control over the process. And so, you know, we're back in full swing of doing face-to-face shooting, um, partly because there's so many moving parts. You know, you got to get your lighting right, the camera's got to be positioned the right way, your backdrop's got to be good, or if you're on a green screen, it needs to be lit well. Um, your microphone, like there's, there's just a lot of sort of minefields if you sort of are trying to do this remotely. Remote just wasn't ideal for us. Um, but, you know, we, we serve a lot of clients who just run podcasts as well. And more often than not, just like we are now on, you know, recording this on, on Riverside, um, or those who are doing it on Zoom, a lot of that is just recorded and then sent through to us and we take care of post-production. So from a video standpoint, um, the quality of production definitely is much higher when done in person. Um, and a lot of our clients prefer that way. They'd rather just come in, knock off, you know, eight to 10 videos in a single day. And if they're publishing on a weekly basis, they're good for the next quarter. That's how we've always been able to roll because we batch content. And so there's a lot of preparation up front, whether it's the scripting right through to the end point. Um, COVID definitely was not ideal. It was somewhere that we had to pivot as a result of that. And it did open up a lot of doors. But now that things have settled down, we are sort of going back to -to face-to-face. And batching content is such an interesting topic because, I mean, we've been batching content, but there's this demand for on-demand content. You know, like what happened this week and... They, it becomes difficult to, like, I've got a client that's like in real estate, right? And the property market is constantly shifting. There's a, there's like, you know, rain that's affecting the property prices, there's interest rates rises. Um, so how do you kind of, you know, manage that demand to have really hot topics covered? Sometimes that comes up and you've batched content for three months. Like, you know, how do you handle that? And I guess everyone wants to know that, right? Because it's great to batch content and you've got the next three months but sometimes you miss this amazing like how do you talk about what just happened in Ukraine because you've just shot you know your content and then the Ukraine war happens two days after yeah so we probably do it as a sort of 80 20 rule you know 80 percent of it is evergreen it's you know topics that will always stand the test of time um and then the 20 percent is more of like your flavor of the month right um and generally what we find is if it needs to be if it's such a big topic like for example here in Australia um you know when the pandemic first hit you know JobKeeper, you know, stimulus packages were coming out. And so you had to be agile because, you know, the ATO was changing, you know, tax office was changing the rules as often as they changed their underwear, which means pretty often. And and so when you get those situations, you have to be fairly agile. This is where there are limitations in working with an agency, because if you want an agency that's agile enough to go, yep, we can shoot with you tomorrow because there's this hot topic all of a sudden, right? You need to pick the right agency there. You're going to end up paying for it. Um, because obviously for us to drop everything and then just, you know, end up creating content for it, it's, it's the only way possible, which is why I, it sort of goes back to the point of businesses now should be doing a mix of working with agencies for sort of your top end high production quality, you know, like you mentioned, learn from their mistakes, draw on their experience, um, you know, you know, lean into what they're great at, but you do need to have in-house resources now, which is sort of what Chris Walker talks about, which is you need to have people who can actually create content in-house as well. And so for smaller businesses, SMEs, who probably don't have massive amounts of budget, um, we're talking, you're probably looking at like a marketing assistant or a marketing coordinator in your in your business. And so to answer your question, to be able to do that, you do have to have someone on the ground outside of the business owner. Unless the business owner's got a lot of time on their hands, which I believe that's not often, uh, you sort of need a team member internally to be able to handle that too. 
So really businesses have to invest in more marketing than ever before with it become a very competitive landscape than it ever was before with everyone really needing a marketing coordinator and those that were saying, oh, that will get able to get away without a marketing coordinator and lent into agencies to be that person. It's really too difficult, right, for us to really carry the burden with the competitive landscape because we've got to now lift up our own time and push into learning about what's going on within the actual platforms itself that we can't be a PA anymore. That's right. We, we can't, um, look, it's just not tenable, unfortunately, at least not here in Australia. You know, the labour costs are so high. You know, if we offshore, uh, we do a whole host of like cost cutting measures, the, the quality will suffer. Um, but also no one cares about the business more than you, the business owner. Let's, let's be honest, right? Um, unless you're going to give us skin in the game and give us some equity, <laughs> um, like we're probably not going to care as much as you do. And so it's really important that the business owner is not abdicating full control of marketing over to an agency. It's really important that they either wear a marketing hat in business or they have someone who does that. And it's really ironic because as a marketing agency, I actually hired my own marketing manager to run our own marketing. Like we're eating, we're practicing what we preach, right? Which is that I have to have someone dedicated because I as the business owner just don't have the time or the capacity to run our own marketing. I can do what needs to be done, which is get in front of camera, produce the content, but I need all that producing to be done by someone else. So um, I agree, you as a business owner, this should be on your P&L, this should be part of your budget for your forecast. You actually do need an in-house um, person to take care of that. It should be one of the first hires, a marketing ops person. The, the nature of which how marketing is played now doesn't afford the ability to be as sort of slow as we used to be. Um, you have to be super agile now and sort of going back to the TikTok thing, trends are changing on a weekly basis, not on a not on a quarterly, not on a yearly basis. We're talking weekly here. Um, and I wouldn't be surprised if down the track it actually gets more frequent than that every two to three days or even daily. Yeah, I, lo- I love the comment you just made and highlighted that we as agencies, I have my own marketing team, which is not for clients that we have to dedicate. So we, I actually have to have my own copywriting internally. Otherwise, we would be forgotten. I have to have my own market growth manager that's doing that own sales team that is not given to clients. Um, and... That's just the nature of the game. So I can't tell everyone else to do it if I'm not doing it myself. That's just the reality. You can't, I can't share even that time because I will be left behind, you know, if I don't have that internal resource. So I really resonate with what you're saying and I agree with it wholeheartedly. To, um, you said meta tags was your last point on your YouTube that you think um, are important. Can you, for someone that, you know, hasn't played on YouTube, meta tags, how would they, you know, I think it's searchable stuff, but is there a way they can know what to tag? Is that again through the keyword planner or how would they know what, you know, meta tags to attach to a video? Yeah. I mean, QBuddy and VidIQ, for example, will be able to give you recommendations based on meta tags. So meta tags are essentially just, well, let's just call them tags. Um, these are the things when you upload a video, it'll ask you to, you know, provide 2000 characters or words in terms of tags. Now, um, more often than they're becoming progressively less important from what I'm seeing in terms of the data. Um, what I am finding is generally that if you are going to do anything with your video, when you upload it, it is to fill your tags up because you need to, it's just an opportunity for you to optimize, but your description needs to make sure it's got some of the keywords. Um, but Google actually, oh, sorry, not Google, YouTube actually crawls, uh, your closed captions. So if you have SRT subtitle files, I strongly recommend you actually upload them as well because Google actually reads this to get an understanding of what your videos are about to put it in front of the right people. So we don't fundamentally actually really know to a certain degree just how detailed YouTube is in terms of how it decides 
what video to put in front of what people. But based on what I'm seeing, there's probably, you know, maybe like half a dozen to a dozen major ranking factors um, that do affect this. And meta tags, yes, important, but not the be all and end all. The, the be all and end all is actually your click through rate. So how many, what percentage of people see, like what impressions, and then what percentage of it click through and watch the video. What the view time is, so what percentage of the video they actually watch in whole. Um, and then the third one um, is obviously um, around sort of your engagement rates. So whether or not that's like comments, likes, subscriptions, um, they, they definitely impact um, the performance of your videos in your channel as well. Tell me about then repurposing the video into a blog, given you're already playing the game here, the SEO games, you're being, your content is led by what the search engine is telling you to do. So, you know, how easy is it then? And wouldn't you just always make sure that you're repurposing that video into a blog on your website so you've got second visibility? Yeah, I, I recommend it because if you're, you know, let's let's face it, everyone's time poor and you're trying to leverage your content as much as possible. Videos are the most leverageable pieces of content. I mean, if you think about what you can repurpose it into, you can repurpose it into SEO articles, um, you know, and, and, and rewrite that basically based on the script or based on the video itself. Um, we turn some of our uh, videos into Instagram carousels, um, you know, like here are the five mistakes people make in B2B marketing. That's that's a carousel on Instagram. You've also got the vertical TikTok and Instagram reels and YouTube shorts. Uh, we're ripping out the audio, turning it into a podcast. Um, we are, for example, you know, creating square snippets, you know, that are used on Facebook and um, LinkedIn now as well. So there's so many ways to do it. And, you know, sort of SEO is just one traffic channel lever. I guess that's the way people should see it. Um, and so... You know, if you are creating original content, I usually say, look, if you're going to do, you know, weekly content, so 52 videos or 52 topics a week, you can definitely turn that into probably six or seven other forms of content every single week across, you know, the four or five channels that, uh, that are out there. And should they embed the video into the blog or do you recommend, no, just turn it into the text post to serve Google? Definitely embed because Google really loves um, multimedia experiences. Uh, they call it multimodal. Um, you sort of want to make sure that you have a variety of images, videos, and then you've got text, could be audio as well, you know, podcast player in there as well, because generally Google favors that from a visibility standpoint, and it's just a key differentiator as well. I mean, even from a bounce rate perspective, when people get on the, the actual page, they're inclined to click the video and actually watch it and stay on the page. But I guess it's a bit strange if you've then repurposed that whole video and turned it into a blog, and then you've got the exact video saying the same thing so would you kind of have to be intelligent as to where you place the video like you put it at the end going if you wanted to watch this on video just so if someone goes oh, there's a video at the top of the page I've clicked it and then you're just regurgitating what's in the video then your quality of content's a little bit like strange well I always sort of my argument is that I am someone who likes watching videos but I don't like to read so the ability to see a video there instead of reading it if it's the same thing i'll watch the video i won't read it right and uh if you sort of post on linkedin it's the same thing like chris talks about it uh instead of trying to gate this thing and trying to hook people in just to watch the video some people like reading just write the copy which is what the video is about and they can read it if they want to as well um so i would say yes you need to be deliberate like you shouldn't just do a direct copy paste of the transcript that's just being lazy but if you really sort of repurpose it and turn it into an article and then embed the video onto it there's an argument to say that some people would rather watch the video, some people would rather read it, right? And so you, you're affording both options.
Yes, exactly. I don't think we'll necessarily see platforms fall, but we'll see sort of cream rise to the top. I think obviously, very obviously, TikTok is just completely dominating the market. It's the most visited website slash, you know, um, whatever you want to call it, app in the world, right? Like it used to be Google, then it, then it was YouTube, and then, you know, Instagram and Facebook. Now it's literally TikTok number one and so forth. So I sort of see TikTok as this big land grab at the moment. Um, I see that being the dominating force. Um, and interestingly, they're sort of coming out now with very a YouTube model where they're actually doing ad revenue shares with um, creators as well. Uh, so I can just see them sort of going from strength to strength and really attracting some of the big players in the market. Um, outside of that, I do think YouTube will stay relevant for a very long time. YouTube has just such a strong community-based um, approach to the way they do it. There's nothing quite like YouTube um, in the sense of just being able to build an audience and a like you know, who else can you go out there that just will religiously, you know, sort of build an audience, religiously have a group that just watches them, um, every single video that they put out. Um, and it, there's sort of the evergreen component, which is it's a, it's a search engine. So your content will actually stand the test of time for the most part and have people actually searching for it. Um, but then after that, I think there's a real sort of competition between, um, you know, say Instagram, which I think is trying to stay relevant. Um, I don't think they're being quite original anymore. They're just really looking like it's like when Snapchat first came out and they really stole the, the stories feature from Snapchat. Um, they're sort of just trying to keep people sticky on the platform um, by not giving them an excuse to go off it. Um, I, I can't see sort of Facebook outside of Facebook groups doing particularly well at this stage. Um, and then I think beyond that, you know, LinkedIn, I think is actually still a very dominant platform. I think we still haven't seen the full maturation of LinkedIn as a B2B platform. I think there is maybe another year or two to go before it starts to become what we call a content um, abundant platform, which means there are more people creating content than there are people consuming it, which I think right now we're very close to that. Um, and, and so I can see sort of, if you were to sort of wrap up all of these sort of, when you say amalgamation, I do think that, you know, if I were a B2B business, uh, I'd really still continue to double down on LinkedIn um, I'd look at that YouTube play because it's a long-term marathon play um, and I would get your ass on TikTok and do four videos a day if you can. Thank you so much for your time and thoughts. Um, you know, I mean, I think LinkedIn still got like only 6% still apparently producing content. So I'm really looking forward to more people creating content there. I love your thoughts on YouTube and, you know, when to play and how to play. Thank you so much. And yeah, thank you so much on even TikTok. What a what an exciting channel to be on and see it, you know, play out. Um, and yeah, probably Facebook and Instagram might be the ones that end up missing out with TikTok coming in and dominating um, in, I think, what looks like a B2C market, but who knows, right? They are looking like they're taking shapes and things from LinkedIn as well. Thank you so much for your insights. Love your thinking. Um, and I'm looking forward to chatting again sometimes in the future. No, thanks for having me, Mel. Appreciate it. You are listening to Innovative Minds. Tune in every Thursday and spark 
your mind. 